Hey everybody, welcome to Athlete on Fire, and um, so grateful to have you guys listening and hanging out with me today. I have a guest, it's kind of a, a unique guest. I met Ben through a friend, a mutual friend who passed away a couple years ago, <clears throat> and um, you know, we were, everybody was grieving, and he was sharing a lot of, a lot of art online, I really loved his style. Reached out to him, and uh, this conversation that you're about to listen to was the result of, of all that, so... Hope you guys enjoy. Uh, I also have a video about the experience. Um, the final product is done now, so that'll mean something here in a few minutes. But uh, just love how um, coaching and having relationships with athletes can uh, create other meaningful relationships and other personal parts of our lives. So hope you guys enjoy the show. And uh, it was a fun one for me, and I think you guys will enjoy it. So thanks a lot. Yeah, so I'm going to introduce you guys, Athlete on Fire here, got Ben Graff, and uh, we're going to have a conversation. Me and Ben have never talked to each other besides the last five minutes, other than <laughs> through some text messaging on Facebook. We have a mutual friend that we're going to talk a lot about today, and we have a project that we're working on that we're going to talk a lot about today. And I think a lot of it is just um, the relationships that you build, working with athletes and people that care about them. Um, it's always, it's always a team sport training people. There's, there's gotta be support systems in their personal life. And I think Ben would definitely be one of those people that we're talking about today. Um, he is an awesome artist. I'm going to brag on him the whole show because he really <laughs> is. And, uh, clinical psychology background. I've learned that recently. Um, we're just going to open up the doors a little bit just, just to chat. And uh, I think just the origin story for us. Ben, first of all, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. And big apologies to anybody listening. If the audio is not exactly how it typically is, we're having some technical difficulties. So you just got to deal with some average audio today. Um, all right, Ben, how do we know each other, man? I'm putting the onus on you here. We're, uh, we're opening up the door. Very open question. Um, so yeah, Scott and I met um, through our mutual friend, Latia. Um, we, <clears throat> excuse me, got in touch after um, connecting through through that relationship and, and what happened there, which I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about um, soon. But yeah, Scott and I have like just met. So um, it's been cool to connect with people from from Latia's background. Yeah. Have you, have you, have you connected with anybody else? Yeah. You know, I, um, got in touch with, um, her family quite a bit. Um, Danielle and I keep in touch her friends from CSU, um, that I didn't really talk to, uh, very much at all. Um, and yeah, we were, I, I want to say every month, every couple months now, we'll just kind of check in, see how everybody's doing. And, um, it's, a, it's a great support network. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'll give you guys a little background. So Latia, I say this without reservation. She's one of my top five favorite athletes of all time that I've worked with. I've worked with thousands at this time. Um, and they're, just to describe this girl, she was uh, 20 years younger than me. I, I coached her through through her high school years. Uh, she was a track and field athlete. Freaking brilliant girl, though. She's really, really smart, like off the charts smart. Um, like you have those friends that are a little uh, can be a little awkward and goofy uh, like a lot of my friends are because they're so smart like she was one of those but in just the best way and her uh, her family life was was pretty darn good her mom uh, Rosemary just a sweet lady uh, her stepdad who's essentially her dad Fred from Norway chef he's cooked for me many times over at their house um, Lauren my wife always wanted to get invited to those to those parties and, and uh, typically at the house would just be a mismatch, mixed mash of 
tons of different people, a lot of MMA athletes. Fred used to cook for a lot of MMA guys here in Colorado. Um, but just such a sweet and loving family. And I've met all the sister, you know, her sister and her brother. And uh, so lots of one-on-one time with Latia. Uh, and you get, you get these really good relationships with these kids because they are selling out for you. Like, especially one-on-one training for, for track athletes, it's, it's all anaerobic power and strength and really, really hard workouts, you know, to the brink of not knowing who you are, <laughs> who you are necessarily. And there's a lot of psychological parts where you're trying to, trying to tap into potentials and talking about mindset and all, all these things. So you get to know these kids on a really, really deep level. And especially when you go from like ninth grade to 12th um, and you see them progress and, and kind of navigate all that high school and eventually college might be. Um, so anyway, great relationship. Went to all of her, all of her meets or lots of her meets in high school, handful of them in college. We kept in touch. Um, you know, like most of my athletes, it's like every three or four months. Hey, how you doing? And she would always send these messages and uh, funny messages. Like the, the type of interactions we had were pretty hilarious because, you know, like when, when you're used to coaching somebody and they go off, the advice is always listen to the coach that's in front of you. You have to, whether you don't agree with them or not. So there's a lot, there's always a lot of those types of conversations. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, what, two years ago now? Has it been since? Yeah. Two since years. Crazy. Yeah. So two years ago, I think it was late September, early October. Don't quote me on the dates. I don't remember these types of dates, but um, we all found out that 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 little Tia had had uh, had passed on, and and uh, and Ben can get into some of the details here. We we both kind of agreed we're, we're not going to make this a taboo thing, um, especially with your background and and the and my general life philosophy of like talk about the hard things and uh, well, of course, dude, all respectful to to the family and everything, but um but we just thought it'd be a good conversation to have. And, and it brought me and Ben together to work on a project that I'm really excited about. Then we'll tell you guys about here in a minute. So I'm going to start everything off with Latia and then we'll start talking. Uh, I want to hear just from, from your educational background and professional background, the clinical psychology stuff, some takes and like some things that we can talk about um, maybe to help somebody else. Cause there's, there's a lot of people hurting right now. We can say that with right. full certainty and uh just having these types of conversations about an individual that we both love a lot is, is going to be tough and uh, we'll do our best to, to keep it composed, but, but uh, yes. it's important stuff. So, all right. So I'm going to do this. Um, when she passed, uh, I was about to go to Tahoe for this work thing that I couldn't get out of. Um, and I wrote a, a eulogy of sorts that my wife actually delivered at the service. Were you there? You were there at the service, right? It was, yes. All right. So I'm going to read it for the first time out loud. <laughs> we'll see how okay. it goes. Okay. All right. So thank you, Rosemary and Fred, for allowing me to work with Latia. Thank you for letting me share some thoughts on a day we wish all that we all wish was not here. Latia, I called her Lil Tia from day one. She was short. It was funny. And every single time I said it, she either laughed or smiled. Uh, I had the honor to train her as a single-minded student athlete two to three times a week for a couple of years. We got really close. And you can't ask somebody to give everything they physically have without forming some type of bond. It's trust. She trusted that I wanted what, what she wanted, and we got after it. She got after it. It's amazing to see young athletes have moments when it just clicks. I can do a 42-inch box jump. I'm strong enough to deadlift this weight. I will recover from this. I'm strong enough. I got this. We had a lot of these moments. I was happy to be there for her, and she figured it out. There were tears, there was frustration. Some sessions and coaching moments just ended up let uh, me letting her talk and 
just knowing that kids need that is important. Never forget that kids just need to be heard sometimes. And I let her talk. She had a great high school career and ended up going to CSU. Got to watch. I got to watch her run through high school and a couple of times in college. Probably isn't until the young athletes I've worked with go out to school in real life that I really knew how much I meant to them and how much they meant to me. I literally just went to a wedding last week of one of my athletes who will be competing in Tokyo for the Olympics. It was overwhelming to see her so happy and to not stop thinking uh, about Lutia at the time. Look, I wasn't going to talk to an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid every day, but we connected every couple months. I think sharing some of those moments would be appropriate. This kid was freaking funny. All right, so Latia, Scott, I need to speak to you. Laugh out loud. Call me. We did. I don't remember what about. Latia, hey, I just wanted to let you know I finally ran an 11.8. Me, dude, that's freaking awesome. You better always tell me when you PR. Okay, sounds good, and I definitely will. There's so many check-ins and phone calls like that. I don't remember most of them. Uh, but most was easy life advice, running advice, etc. I think she always trusts me as a coach, but I never trumped her coaches. One of the last messages that I really loved um, from our uh, text messages, Latia, well, I finally learned why you get sore after a hard workout. I said, oh, why? She knew I had my master's in exercise science, so she went after it. Well, I forgot most of it, but it's because the myosin head gets pulled for something and the thin and thick filaments aren't able to be pulled toward each other and make the muscle contract. So pretty much there are micro tears within the muscle to, due to the myosin head being pulled off. And after this and after Dom's over, overcompensation happens, you should be so proud. <laughs> and I, I just left it at that. I said, always, Latia, I'll always be proud of you. Thanks for trusting me. One of your proudest coaches and friends. And uh, it's, it's just such a shame. Like I, I do such a good job of like documenting so much of my life with, with and interactions with audio, especially. Um, but man, I would love to have her voice with some of those things, you know, and, uh, I know you knew her really well. So I I just kind of curious, like, how did you, how did you meet her and what was y'all's relationship like? Yeah. Um, so Latia and I have known each other. I mean, it pretty much was our entire lives. Um, her and I went to the same elementary school and I think at that time we were kind of aware of each other, but we weren't really like friends at, at that point. Um, we went to the same middle school. That's when Latia and I really started connecting. I remember in our honors writing class, her and I would joke around a little bit. And then really when we got into high school was when Latia and I, I mean, we became like family. Um, we had anatomy class together. And I, re- I remember there was uh, one time and I, I'm not, I'm very squeamish when it comes to those kinds of things. We were watching an appendectomy, an anatomy class. And the night before I had, I had been out with some friends doing uh, what teenagers do. So I was not feeling the greatest in anatomy class. And I was sitting there watching this appendectomy, just feeling like I was going to pass out because it was so gross to me. And I remember looking across the, across the room and seeing Latia just staring at me laughing (laughs) because she knew that I wasn't, I wasn't all there. Um, And then we had second period off together and we would just hang out all the time. Um, we stayed very connected through, through college. Um, and I would go up to CSU. She would come see me in Colorado Springs. We'd meet up in Denver. Um, and just, we shared in the experience together, even though we were, I guess, doing very different things. I was more into the arts. She was very devoted as an athlete, um, to, running track at CSU, um, 
even in high school. She always astounded me with uh, her ability to do that. Cause I've, I've, again, I've never been an athlete before. So when she would go to those track meets and stuff, I was like, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, I never, I never got that. She's um, good, man. She's really yeah. good. I remember going to one of her meets at, at Boulder um, and just, uh, it blew my mind every time I saw videos of it or saw her actually doing it. Um, I mean, she was like a superhero to me with, yeah. <laughs> with um, but yeah, that, that was kind of our, our relationship in a nutshell. I mean, obviously there's so much more, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, so you guys just were always around like from day one. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And even though, you know, we weren't super close in some of those early years, it's, I mean, that's how far back it runs. That's how far back that relationship was growing and developing. Um, and it turned into something really, really beautiful for yeah. sure. Uh, did you guys confide in each other's late in your later years, like high school, college? Very much so. Yes. Um, we texted pretty much all the time. We'd do phone calls and then of course get together in person whenever we could. Um, we were very open with each other about hardships that we were experiencing, things that um, maybe were going well, things that weren't going so well. Um, whenever we needed a friend or somebody to talk to um, that wasn't a part of our direct circle, um, she'd be the one that, that we'd reach out to. And I still, I still, sometimes I'll message her, um, just with things that are going on in my life, just like we used to do. Um, and I actually, I have a voicemail from her, um, when she was, um, uh, she was coming down to the Springs to try and, and visit me and I, she needed my address. So it's, um, you know, it's nothing profound or, or, you know, super loving or like a message or anything, but it's just her voice. And I still listen to that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Voices are powerful, man. I, I, I'm a hundred percent all in on that. I'm actually creating uh, an app right now. That's all about capturing audio, meaningful audio. Instead of mm -hmm. using all of the audio just for like, for mostly podcasts is where everything is right now, but just ca capturing meaningful audio for, for people as they, as they age, like a sorial type stuff passed down through generation type stuff. And then just being able to have, you know, 10 pieces of clips of somebody you really care about in case something tragic happens. Um, I think it's really important. So I love that you saved it. I think a lot of people don't even realize that you can, you can say, you can download, send your voicemails to your email, put them in the cloud, whatever you got to do, you can save all that stuff. I have grandparents and my dad and like people who've passed away have all that stuff. It's really cool. Even um, yeah, your text messages, Facebook messages, you can download your account and just try to back it up in any way that you can. Um, Cause that stuff, I mean, when something, when a loss like this happens, I mean, you really take it for granted how valuable those are. So you have, you have a professional background, cl clinical psychologist, so Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I uh, graduated with my bachelor's in psychology and a minor in counseling and human services from UCCS in 2017. Um, and I just recently finished my master's degree in clinical psychology um, from UCCS at well, as well. Um, and right now I'm working on pursuing licensure to be a professional counselor in Colorado. Um, and I might be going on for my PhD. I'm not 100% certain on that. I did get accepted, but it just wasn't the right time. Um, 
So that's kind of my background. I've done a lot of research, um, a lot of clinical stuff. I've worked two years giving um, ABA therapy for kids diagnosed with autism. I did a year in adult inpatient psychiatric, and I am currently on my second year of working in private practice with counseling. Yeah. So it's no secret now, like Latia took her own life. We know that. Um, have you Have you ever had someone close to you? besides her? Unfortunately, yes. Um, not as close as her, but um, I think an unfortunate trend that we're seeing develop is this kind of epidemic of depression and anxiety, um, trauma in a lot of um, you know my generation and the younger generation. Um, and there's a lot of factors that play into that. Self-criticism is, is a huge thing. And I think it's something that you were saying in our earlier conversation that athletes uh, experience a lot of. Um, and that's, yeah, that's something that I think a lot of young people are doing because they're trying to live up to these just big societal standards um, and, and trying in a way to be perfect. Um, there's a lot of pressure out there. Um, yeah, I kind of compare it to... Uh what you're talking about now, I would compare that to uh, working out versus nutrition. So nutrition is 24 seven, like what, what you put in your body, you have to be cognizant of that all day long Mm -hmm. and working out. It might be an hour, hour and a half a day. If you're, if you're consistent um, as an athlete, especially, but even just general population type stuff. Uh, So self-criticism in an athlete's world might only be that small little period of time. You've got to be self-critical if you want to get better at something. And I know you're an artist. I'm sure you're self-critical. You'll look at your stuff. You <laughs> see where you can get better. <laughs> but when it's just this constant influx, and I know a lot of the suicide and, and depression numbers line up pretty damn close to 2006, seven, when all the social media stuff started coming out, um, whether, whether or not that's, that's caused without correlation, who knows? I mean, I'm sure there's a million factors, but I just think about how, hard it is for younger people to navigate trying to compare themselves to millions of people every single day and it's not even millions of people's actual lives it's their portrayal of their lives and it's 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 wearing on it's wearing on kids man and it's it's pretty sad so what what does the research say about some of those just comments in general so part of the issue with self-criticism is there's there's a healthy amount of it. I mean, just like anxiety, just like feeling sad, you know, those are all normal thoughts. Those are normal emotions, but when they turn into a pervasive pattern that is all of a sudden affecting your life and the self-criticism is now directed towards your identity or it's directed towards the way that you're living your life. And it just all of a sudden is this weight that you can't shake off. Um, that's when we start getting into the realm of maybe some depression, some anxiety that's clinically significant. Um, Obviously there's another cluster of symptoms that will go along with with that. Um, But when that starts turning into hopelessness or I can't escape this, or there's nothing that I can do about this, that's when some red flags are popping up that um, maybe suicidal thoughts or or, um, even some actions or or plans um, might be might be there. Um, usually people I think are pretty reserved about sharing some of those thoughts too. So if anybody out there is concerned that they have a friend or that they're thinking some of these thoughts themselves, it's really important that you 
that you talk to somebody um, and get them off your chest because if those stay internal, um, they can fester. Yeah, that that was the weird one. I mean, we were talking about this off air a little bit just with with Tia because you know I kept in touch with her pretty good for for a former former athlete, and you were you were a peer group, so you were definitely keeping in touch with her. And I would, I mean, she she definitely had a tendency to get down on herself with she put a lot of pressure on herself. I'll say that always like with her schooling, she was a perfectionist with her schooling. Um, I don't know if you felt that way, but she was a perfectionist. Yes. <laughs> Athletically, I wouldn't call her a perfectionist, but she worked her ass off. Like she wanted to be really, really good. There are injuries here and there. Like you're limited sometimes in, in sport, but, um, but I didn't see any of besides the tendency to be tough on herself. This, besides that in person, I never really saw any other major signs. And I'm sure that happens a lot. Um, what, not everything's preventable. I don't think, I don't think just in life, right. life in general, I think there's best practices and the, and the reason people are researching um, the stuff that that's in your field is because we can help a lot of people for sure. But how do you, how do you get your head around that when there aren't any signs, you know? I struggle with the thought that there aren't any signs. Um, I think even in Tia's story, I've, I've looked back and seen pictures or just maybe some patterns and some of the messages that I'm like, God, that was it. That was one of the things. Um, but there's like, that's the thing is they're so subtle when you read anything about suicidal behaviors or risk factors or anything like that, the literature makes you want to think that it's going to be some glaring thing that you're going to be able to have the opportunity to sit the person down and and do some kind of prevention. Um, But that's the tough thing about it is some of those signs are so well hidden. They're so subtle. They're hidden in your everyday conversations in the way that the person talks to you um, naturally. And when it's just very sudden, that's just it. It's but nobody should blame themselves for not being able to see it right. too um, because there is some intentionality between uh, of trying to hide it yeah. for sure. Well, um, it seems like some people are really for the suicidal thoughts. It seems like a lot of people, when they get frustrated, like that's that verbiage comes out. Like, I'm just going to, I'll kill myself. I'm, I'm yeah. just, I need to end this. Well, you know, you, you hear the verbiage, like those are obvious glaring signs, but are those always what they seem or, is that something that's researched? I'm just kind of curious. It is. Um, and that really depends. Um, sometimes people will make threats like that. Um, sometimes that's done out of manipulation to try and get attention. Um, other times it is genuinely a cry for help. So it, it really comes down to how well do you know the person? How well do you know their character? Is this something that they've done before? Um, and are there other, other signs here that, um, maybe make that threat a little bit more legitimate. Anytime something lowers our inhibitions, anger, alcohol, uh, being really, really sad or being exposed to something that was like emotionally challenging is going to draw some of that out as well. Yeah. Why is it so important to talk about it? We we had this conversation before we hopped on when we decided we're just, you know, it shouldn't be taboo. You got, you got to face the hard things. Why, Why is it important to you? It's really important to me to talk about it um, for so many different reasons. Uh, I think for a lot of people, it's really just kind of sending this message that there's hope, that it doesn't have to, 
it doesn't have to end that way. There's resources out there for people to, um, to get some help, whether that's a suicide hotline, if it's reaching out, seeking a therapist, or even just talking to somebody in your immediate friend group that, you know, you're not, that people who are experiencing this, they're not alone in this journey. There are people out there who experience depression, anxiety. You can look at somebody and they might look like the shining picture of success, um, like the most perfect person in the world. And maybe they're struggling with it too. Um, so yeah, just, just that people aren't alone. Um, and, and also that when this happens, it's, it's devastating when we don't see the signs, when we're not, um, when we're not keyed into any of that, that's going on, it, it, it destroys the people that are left behind. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I, I have kids. I can't even try to get my head around losing a kid, whether it was from, from anything, like any, any, any way that somebody's going to go is never going to be something you can handle, um, cleanly, you know? So, I mean, my heart for people who lose children to any, any reason is just crazy. And someone who just shined up a room like that girl. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think about, but we know that there's a lot of people going through this stuff. And, and if you look at how many, you see this in like young women, especially, um, how many young women are starting to, to attempt suicide and stuff. It's, it's kind of mind boggling. If you see the numbers I've, I've yeah, looked yeah. at, I'm just out of interest after all this stuff went down, you know? Right. And it's, it's increasing in, in young women for sure, but the highest demographic for suicidal behaviors is actually middle-aged men. Yeah. And that's, I that's think, always been the case, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that factors into that. I mean, it can be midlife crisis. It can be life changes that are happening as somebody's getting into older adulthood, um, feeling stagnated in your career. I mean, hey, that's find older of, really quick, Ben. Go older? Ahead. Yeah, that's um, good. <laughs> so in, in my field, an older adult is somebody who is above the age of 60, 65 years. Oh. Okay, I'm good. So I, you're good. You're good for now. There's, we all a get quote, there's a quote from a movie, or I think it's a book actually, but uh, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Have you ever heard that? Mm, I think so. It's sounding familiar. Yeah. No, that's interesting that that's still the highest demographic. Mm-hmm. It's, just, and, it's, it's crazy to me. It's like for someone I've never dealt with mental health myself, I've had plenty of clients and like, this is a, this is a conversation and, and it's, it's never going to end. I think, I think the fact that we do have it pretty damn good as far as like culturally speaking, like you can have a pretty good life where we're at. And, and I think the fact that so many kids and, and individuals have it good and, and then all of a sudden something hits you know, shit hits fan and you got to figure out how to cope with, with some type of struggle or, or roadblock, um, where we have, you know, in the past, historically, every day was kind of a struggle, you know, I just yeah. feel like all, all these parts of culture kind of intertwining or leading mm-hmm. to a lot of these numbers increasing. And for younger people too, some of the biggest triggers are, are unexpected or unexperienced life events. Um, a really bad breakup. Uh, is a really common one. Um, parents' divorce. I mean, just things that kind of shatter the worldview of that person um, are, yeah, just some of those biggest triggers for, for younger people. Um, 
when you get into the older age ranges, that kind of can turn into, I've experienced this for so long and now I'm losing hope mm-hmm. for younger people. I've never experienced anything like this before. How is there any hope to get out of this? Um, for, for both of those, what's, for people who are listening and, and even people who are listening who have friends who might be in this, in this world and they're not really ready to go get professional help, what are, because plenty of people aren't going to get professional help even if they know they need it. Right. Um, what are some things that can help I mean, from my world, exercise is, is very productive for uh, as a coping mechanism, for sure. What, what are some things that you guys are recommending? Starting with basic needs. Um, whenever I'm working with a client who's struggling with depression, anxiety, maybe they're having some self-harm or suicidal uh, types of thoughts, is um, it, taking care of your basic nutrition, taking care of... Um, all, all of your just kind of daily living activities. If that includes getting, getting an exercise, that's great. Exercise is kind of a tier two for me because that requires a lot of motivation. Sometimes depression can bring down our motivation. If you can work in exercise, that's great. But I mean, if you just take care of your basics at first, eating, sleeping, showering, um, that might help to build some of the motivation to get up to something like exercising. Maybe it's the motivation to go to therapy or to talk to a friend but definitely the biggest thing is make sure that you're socializing. Um, that is one of the biggest resiliency factors when it comes to depression and, and anxiety. Um, but really, you know, it's a combo. If you can combine it, I mean, that's going to be your best medicine without actually having to go to a therapy session or get yourself on medication. Yeah. What about for families that lose that, you know, for thinking about Latia's family, like we're, mm-hmm. What are things for them that they can do to not even fall into a depressed hole all the time? You know, I'm just, I I always worry about those guys. And that's a lot more of a a complex question because everybody's going to react to the loss differently. Yeah. Um, The parents are going to react differently. Siblings will react differently. Um, And part of that is working through it together as a family, recognizing that there's a togetherness in that loss um, and being the support network, knowing where somebody needs to work on the loss a little bit more than maybe somebody else in the family system does. Um, But definitely if, I mean, I always would recommend like family grief counseling or something um, like that too, because we can also bottle up a lot of emotions um, because we're trying to protect others in the family. Yeah, I think especially with, with out of nowhere tragic events, you know, like I, I lost my dad when he was 62. He was definitely young, but he had he had some health stuff that made it not easy by any means. It's one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. But but just realizing, like you know, kids should lose their parents. <laughs> parents shouldn't lose their like just the the kind of pattern of life that typically happens. But when something's so unexpected, it's it's just wild. Um, I think all that stuff's really helpful. So regardless, Tia, just a couple more things before we move on to a little more happy stuff. Um, so you were talking about like Latia sending you a message um, the, the morning of, of her, of her death. And I don't know, just kind of sharing that and what your mindset was. And I think you sharing it will hopefully help people realize like, it's just really hard to, to know when stuff's going on, you know? Yeah. And this is something that, in my own work, 
recovering from the loss, which honestly, you know, it, it ends up becoming a lifelong process. Um, I was initially really racked with, with a lot of guilt um, because of this, but that, uh, so I was, I was on vacation. Um, I was out in the collegiate peaks with my partner um, for our anniversary. And we were, we got up early in the morning, we were gonna go hiking and we had gone down to a coffee shop and, and I got a message from her that, that morning that um, said, you know, I love you. I really appreciate your, your friendship. You've meant so much to me. And that didn't, that didn't set off any radars uh, for me when I got that message because Latia and I used to talk like that quite a bit. Um, just saying like, hey, you mean a lot to me. Thanks for talking with me. Thanks for meeting up with me or, or taking the time to, to meet me up in person, you know, whatever. It was just so typical. Um, so it didn't, it didn't make me um, wary that anything was wrong. And I, I had meant to respond to it and I had started typing out a response, but you know, you're getting your coffee, you're trying to get into the car to get out to the trail. Um, well, there's, you know, before the 3 p.m. summer rainstorm comes in kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get a chance to respond. And we were out there all day. And then we got back uh, and went to dinner. We were out at a restaurant. And I, I got a call just from a, a strange number. And I remember thinking, like, this is kind of weird for somebody to be calling me this late at night. Like, this is normally when telemarketers, like, go home and go to bed um and and I picked up the phone and it, it was her friend Katie um and the first thing that popped into my head because she said hey this is Katie Latia's friend and I do uh through some of my art I, I do custom tattoo designs and just things like that for people and and I was expecting that you know that was what the call was going to be so I instinctively I stepped outside um so I could hear her a bit better. And um, yeah, that's when, that's when she told me that Latia had, had passed. And I, I mean, there was this big window in the restaurant. Everybody in there must have saw me. I mean, I, I couldn't, I fell onto the, the ground. I was on my knees just in total disbelief. And my partner paid the bill and ran out and we, we went home that night. Um, and yeah, prepared for, for the funeral, which I'm really glad that I spoke at, but that was really hard. I remember my, you read your eulogy that you had written, um, my little statement, you know, Danielle, her sister really encouraged me to say something. And I was so just emotionally wrecked by losing a friend that was that close. Um, uh, all I could manage to write was like a few sentences and <laughs> I could track them down on my computer if, if you want me to, but I remember feeling like they were hardly even coherent. <laughs> um, yeah. Out of body. Yeah, very much so. Um, and yeah, then just in the months afterwards, you start trying to recover from, from something so intense like that. Um, and Anybody who's lost anyone to suicide, though, you can't blame yourself. 
that's the message that I've been trying to teach myself through, through that because of some of that guilt for not responding to that message on that last day is, you know, don't blame yourself. You loved them. They loved you. And, um, at that point too, there's not, I've had therapists that I've talked to about it that have said, there's nothing at that point that you could have done. And that's a hard thing to wrap your head around because nobody wants to believe that. Right. And I still don't want to believe that. So it's so easy to assign blame to big life events. And I think one of the hardest lessons for anybody is like, sometimes, sometimes things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, the, the, the saddest part is just imagining your, your close ones, your friends, you know, their last moments, that's sad for sure. But the fact that they were probably living with some really deep, deep sadness that you, you, that they just got really good at hiding. And, uh, and if you're that good at hiding it, then, then the, the last days is, isn't going to be that hard either. I mean, yeah. just straight up, it's just tough. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing this tough stuff and speaking at her funeral. Um, I wasn't there. I, I think that's, it's one of my, it's one of the most important things in my life is to have the hard conversations and do the hard things. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not always fun, but I, I, I don't think anybody ever regrets it. Even if you don't know what you said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know how tough it was. So I really appreciate that, man. Of course. Cool. Yes. It's a uh, tough stuff, but you know, it's something that I personally think that we can't be silent about for the rest of our lives. Cause there is, I think a, a message that can be helpful to others hidden in some of that sadness that we all went through. Yeah. Yeah. And the, I mean, life is, is for, for the ones that are left behind and we got to do our best to, to honor the people who are gone no matter Absolutely. how they left. So I think that's important. Right. So I think, um, to turn, unless you have something else to say here, to kind of turn the turn the wheel uh, around a little bit. Yeah, no, let's uh, let's move on to <laughs> what else was what else was in the plan. <laughs> Tia, it's messed up, but now I'm talking to your buddy, so I do appreciate that. This is how it went down. Ben was sharing lots of really cool stuff about Latia, and I noticed it because we're you know me and Latia were friends on Facebook, and I saw a lot of your posts, and her family was commenting on a lot of stuff, and I just loved I loved how you put. Alexis, Alexis talking. Hey, one second. <laughs> What's she doing? <laughs> That's ridiculous. Mine does that too. I actually hate that thing. Somebody gave it to me as a gift for Christmas last year. I don't. I don't like the audio stuff. It creeps me. Hey, it creeps me out. I was about to pick say. up. It's pretty creepy. She'll yeah, she'll just randomly just like what just happened to you. She'll just start talking, and it's like she's telling me what the front door is, and I'm like, what you? nobody asked that. No, they're if they can pick out a word, that means they're listening at all times. Does everybody realize oh. that? <laughs> Do you guys realize how it works? You can't just automatic. Anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, so yeah, I love how you were kind of talking. Um, and some of your posts and just like the way you kind of saw things. And, and I, th- I think we think very similarly about a lot of life stuff, which is c- kind of cool to connect like that. Yes. I sent, some, I sent some message like just saying, Hey, I'm feeling for you guys. And hopefully, you know, hopefully you're doing all right. And then I just we became friends on f- Facebook and then I saw that you're an artist and you're 
you were sharing a lot of your watercolor stuff and I really like your style. So, Thank and, you. I, and as a side note, I've never commissioned any art in my life. Like we just bought a house up in the mountains, really want to put things that mean stuff like me and my wife have traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. So our walls are sparse, but filled with things that mean that something like, I'm not just going to go buy something at freaking Michael's and put it on the wall. Right. You know? right. <laughs> and, uh, and I was telling you, I was like, Hey, I'd really, our anniversary is coming up, but it doesn't even matter about that. I just kind of triggered something. I saw you doing painting some mountain stuff. I was like, I'd really like to do something cool for my wife based on the day that we met. So me and Lauren met on uh, Imperial Lift up in Breckenridge. And it was just a really cool way to meet. It was a really cool kind of <laughs> discovery, <laughs> way to discover your wife out in the world or whatever. Right. And uh, we did a run. And literally, I, I told you the story. I, I memorized her number on the after the first run and uh, I put her in this is before we carried her phones everywhere we went I went yeah. back to the hotel and put her number into my phone as Lauren snowboard because I didn't know her last name and the rest is history like we, we snowboarded that whole winter together and have two kids now and just I think it's a great life she seems mm-hmm. like she thinks it is you'd have to ask her <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah I was telling you all this whole story like I'd love to do like commission piece like that kind of captured that initial meeting in some kind of meaningful way and uh so yeah that's what we're working on right now so what are your thoughts on this whole project are you has this been fun for you is it this has been very fun and i love it when my commissions challenge me so when we had the idea to incorporate your story into the piece um that's kind of where i try and combine some of my therapist skills with my artist skills yeah Uh, it's just like, how do I translate this? Because you mentioned like the blueberry pancakes I, I read about in the in the post. And I was like, well, I can't paint a mountain out of blueberry pancakes. That would be really <laughs> weird. Um, probably not what he's looking for. Um, so that's just, yeah, been a fun challenge to try and figure that out. And the, I, the thing that is uh, most, I guess, giving my mind the most, uh, food to chew on is how I'm going to incorporate the lift into, into the painting um, while still like having a, a peak in it. That's uh, you know, you can tell it's peak eight, right? Yeah. Um, it's got a certain shape to it. You can kind of tell from the, right. From the right. When you're looking at. But if the, um, so like the thing that I have been struggling with is like, if you, try and show the whole mountain you're a little too far away for the chairlift to make sense if you like painted it going up it um so i really like that we kind of came to this idea of sort of superimposing it over the the whole mountain and having like the runs and stuff um going down the the face of it um so that's yeah that's my plan for now but who knows like commissions always always change up on me so we'll see if something unexpected comes up later i right love now, that yeah paper <laughs> Well, in my dumb ass, like when you first told me about the blueberries, I was like, blueberries wouldn't be out during the winter. But then I was like, wait a second, it's for the pancakes, man. So my wife, <laughs> it literally, it took me like two minutes. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Um, yeah. So when I met her, she was literally chomping on like dry blueberry pancakes in the, in the lift line, like mm-hmm. all over her face, like just falling over her face. <laughs> and uh, I like how you sent me like some concepts on like little sketches on, on the whole con over the, yeah. the overarching concept. Like that's really cool. Um, I had a couple other ideas. Yeah, no, shoot them. Um, let me, I might need to write some of these down. Let me pull out some paper. Yeah. 
for anybody who's listening to this too, like this is such a cool product. If you have meaningful stuff, uh, Ben, I'll, I'll give some contact for Ben. Like this is such a cool way to do it. What, what other means? So we're doing, you're doing mostly watercolor, right? Um, primarily now. Yeah. I actually just picked up watercolor two years ago, maybe even less than that. Um, and it came very naturally to me. So I've been doing a lot of work with that, but before that I was doing colored pencil, pastel, ink. Um, the only thing that I don't really do is like acrylics. Um, and I don't really do a whole lot of painting people's like pets and animals and dogs and stuff, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah that's kind of my, my main squeeze is the watercolor right now. I love the, I love how you do it. Cause a lot of watercolors I've seen in the past have just been like, I don't know, they all kind of, so many of them look very similar. Mm-hmm. And I, I just love how you use color and the stuff looks real. It doesn't look like dream, like a dream world. Like it looks like actual nature. And I just think it's really cool, man. I don't know. The other, the other thing that's always on the list for anniversary stuff is to get chairlift for. Uh, those things are freaking expensive. So a lot of these resorts will get rid of, they'll get rid of old chairlifts when they're done, like when they're worn yeah. out. And they'll usually put them up on for sale, and people are paying like freaking ten, fifteen thousand bucks for these things. That is insane. Not, not, I'll build one out of wood before I do that shit. <laughs> it's not happening. So yeah, so so what? So have you always been an artist? Yeah, um, it, I'm glad you asked that. I've been asked that uh, quite quite a bit recently since I've been I did a sale, and I, a lot of my people that came through were you know asked me questions about this, and it made me really think about it, and. Um, yeah, I mean, really kind of like all my life, I remember as a very young kid, just loving colored pencils. And even though, you know, you have no real talent at that at that time, but yeah, just even like looking at the colors, having those big sets um, and thinking about, yeah, color, line, and um, really enjoyed art class growing up. But one of my, fur- my furthest memories, and I think, I think this is one of the ones that just kind of set it for me was... I was at my grandma's house and my dad and I were just drawing like these fall scenes, um, you know, scarecrow, trees and leaves on the ground. And I remember looking at my dad's and thinking, his is so much better than mine. (laughs) I want to draw like that one day. My dad's not an artist, Um, but yeah, we, uh, and then I just kept going from there. There's a preschool video of me in front of the whole class with the little microphone saying that I want to be an artist when I grow up. So I guess I kind of did that. <laughs> oh, that's so cool, man. Yeah. So when we get off here, I'm going to share a link for everybody so you can go look at some of your prints and stuff. I know you saw a lot of prints online and hopefully you get some interest, but yeah, this has been really cool. I can't, I can't wait to, to see the, the finished product. So where are you at with it right now? So the, the paper is still on its way, unfortunately, because of these supply chain delays that's been kind of affected. So, but I'm hoping that within the next couple of days, um, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little intimidated by the size of the painting. It's, it's big. It's I think the biggest one I've done. Um, but lucky for your wallet, watercolor spreads very easily. So, (laughs) (laughs) so how big is it again? I'm just doing this for people here. It is uh, 29 and a half inches by 51, I think, off the top of my head. Uh, that's that's right. huge. Yeah, you're looking at God, two, almost three feet by a little over four. 
Is that right? I'm not great at math. <laughs> two and a half by, by four and a third, something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it'll be big. And I'm trying right now to figure out where in my house I'm going to paint it. Um, <laughs> Yes, my I have an art studio in my basement that's pretty, you know, decked out for the stuff that I normally do. But yeah, I'm trying to find a good spot where I can set it up and leave it and keep coming back to it without making everybody else in my house mad that <laughs> there's art supplies <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, if you ever get if, if you if you guys ever get bored and you want to uh, get away to the mountains, my house is like a perfect artist place, and we we go out of town quite a bit, and we have a I have a barn like a little loft barn it's like 20 by 20 or something and it's, it's got beds up there and it's like a place like if you just want to get away and just come hang out and and unplug i will that invite is in the universe for you dude i have i have college kids <laughs> watch house all the time it's pretty cool i uh yeah i miss it. my family had a mountain house uh back when i was younger and we unfortunately sold it it was out in salida colorado um and i miss that place so much i just i i loved getting away and being out like in nature. Um, so I do that a lot with my paintings now too, is some of that, some of my subject matters, kind of some of that escapism, I think, um, yeah. going back to some of that original inspiration for sure. All right. So you're painting a big old painting and yes. uh, you got the paper coming in and mm -hmm. you got kind of the, I don't know what I'm calling this, whatever. The first day I met her, a lot of the themes from that kind of with That's the lift yeah. and, um, are there any, have you thought about any tracks in the snow? Um, I have not. Um, are you thinking like ski tracks or footprints? Like uh, ski tracks. Ski tracks. Could probably do that. Just brainstorming. <laughs> I think if we put it, um, hmm, that's going to be interesting. We could put it in the foreground and have have them kind of like going up over a lip a little bit um cool. or they could be coming down the runs they just wouldn't be as with that kind of distance it'd be i think the idea of like having two tracks kind of come together halfway down the mountain kind of is fairly symbolic cool. i yeah, like I mean, that maybe the two tracks turn into one at some point i don't know i love that idea i could totally pull that off and then i have another idea <laughs> Yes, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you enough stress for your day. Uh, so, have you ever seen like I don't know down Florida? Like I, I grew up in a in a way more diverse place than Colorado, and uh, mm -hmm. like sometimes in the in the hood and like in in some of the neighborhoods, like you'd see like a pair of shoes hanging over the hanging over the uh, freaking electric lines. You know, what I'm, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, what if we put? Um, just as a seal on how this whole project came together, what if you put like a, a pair of track shoes hanging over the, the chairlift um, wire? You like it? Absolutely. And your, your listeners probably can't see, but I'm smiling right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at your sketch and I'm like, okay, I think we can do that there. Then you can definitely show, you know, I'm just like going through the thing here. I'm glad that my sketches didn't put you off. I, every time I do those planning sketches, I'm like, be prepared. This is going to look really rough, but I promise it's going to come together. Well, just from my entrepreneurial days, like I've done so many conceptuals. Like I, I get how, how you work on this stuff. And then the only other thing that we haven't talked about on this project is some way to symbolize my kids. Mm, okay. Whether it's like two trees that are different color in the whole thing. Um, 
that was my first idea because mm. i know you have you'll have some evergreens in the it looks like in the foreground and stuff yes or at least from some of the conceptual stuff but whatever you come up with would be cool Doesn't you have cool. remind me you have do you have a girl and a boy or we have two little boys two boys but they won't always be little so it can just be <laughs> <laughs> it can just be conceptual you know how old are they uh not right now they're 10 and 8 10 and 8 okay yeah mm. yeah we might uh unless you can think of like some other like something that symbolizes them that maybe could be painted into the foreground um we could do something that way um but yeah i think just for the consistency of the piece something yeah. nature oriented would probably work um, yeah. what are their favorite colors oh my gosh dude it changes every day oh man okay <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's i don't know <laughs> it's crazy they're good little artists too this is the cool thing about this is after we're done i want to show them the whole process that we went through and um and my youngest especially really likes draw he's really good he's really good at my nieces are great little artists i think this would be really cool to show them how you can come up with a concept and like brainstorm through this whole thing and come up with this piece that you are going to be really really uh, attached to so i think that would be pretty sweet yeah. i um i'll be sure to take lots of progress photos then i think i was telling you back when we sort of decided that we were going to go go ahead and do this i once i start painting and putting the final stuff down on the paper you and i are going to be best friends we're going to be in constant contact and you pictures you know just kind of constantly to be like you know how's this looking what are you thinking here um and then that way if there's any like if you want to pause me and say i don't know if that's really working for me can we figure something out about that or hey can you add that in um that's that's the main reason why i do that that whole process because stuff stuff changes um for sure as we as we go through or maybe you'll have more ideas that we can work into it yeah no i'm excited uh oh i had a question that i never asked you before so you're doing some some kind of special paper that's for watercolor right yes 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 so once you're done how what's the best way for me to like frame it or prepare mm -hmm. for, the, for the place you know what i mean so with the size um <clears throat> This is something that will, once the paper comes in and I can, you know, look at it and kind of get a sense of um, maybe, maybe possibly trimming it down a little bit, because what we can do is get it down to a dimension where it'll just fit into one of the frames that they just sell at the store. That way you don't have to worry about any custom framing. Um, if we keep it the size that it's at, you might have to get a custom frame for it. Um, yeah. And yeah, Hobby Lobby, Michaels, they, they do stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, as far as like caring for it, once it's done, um, everything should hold just fine. Um, just as long as you don't hang it in a place, it's going to get tons of direct sunlight every day. Right. Um, I use, um, at this point in my artistic career, I've, I've upgraded to the, the super fancy <laughs> expensive watercolors so it holds really really well um but nobody's had my pieces for you know <laughs> decades so i don't yeah. know um necessarily how how well it, it holds up um after that amount of time but i just like to play it safe and 
suggest that not tons of direct sunlight, don't get it wet. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. All right, man, I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, it's been a great conversation, Ben. Really appreciate your time, dude. Um, yeah, of course, of course. If you guys are listening, uh, I'm sure you have this off the top of your head, but for people who are going through some hard stuff, what, what's what's one of the easiest or best ways to get help? Do you know? Do you have that off the top of your head? Yeah. So if anything is uh, immediate or if you are in an emergency, you definitely want to call 911 and get yourself to someplace safe uh, as soon as possible. Um, for people that are thinking about going and seeking out therapy. If you have insurance, you can look at your insurance directory for mental health professionals that'll, that are in network. Um, and you can also look at psychology today. They have a therapist directory that you can search by, uh, by area um, and, and find somebody who can see you. There's, you know, one of the great things of the uh, that's come out of the pandemic, which is kind of a weird thing to say, is there's lots of telehealth options now for people. You can see a therapist online from the comfort of your home. BetterHelp, Sundermind, uh, Cerebral, places like that. Um, and if you're not ready to, to go to therapy yet, that's okay. Talk to a friend, talk to somebody that you trust um, and get, get support. Yeah, awesome. Oh, yeah. sorry, one more thing. Um, there's also the National Suicide Hotline. There's text to talk. Um, and I believe there's, um, oh, there's another one. I can't remember that one off the top of my head, but there's some national hotlines that people can call to, to, to talk to somebody free of charge. Um, if you are in a crisis. All right. Well, I don't think in any world or circumstance we'd ever want to trade our, our beloved friend for a piece of art, but I will say that I'm very happy that something beautiful is going to come out of this, this whole tragedy. Um, and, uh, Rosemary Fred, if you guys are listening, we're always thinking about you guys, Danielle. I can't for the life of me forget, remember her brother's name off the top of my head. Do you remember? Steven. 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 Thanks. I've only met him like twice. So. <laughs> so yeah, we're always thinking about you guys. Um, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and uh, I'm going to leave some links out there for Ben. We're going to get him some, we're going to sell some art for this bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I guess if anybody has any questions, uh, we'll, we'll shoot my contact info out there too. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks Scott. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. I hope it was an uh, enjoyable call, enjoyable conversation. Um, learned a lot. If you if you know somebody that's struggling, obviously, uh, Ben gave some good good resources for that stuff. Um, just really cool that he's got a background in that as well. Uh, I've relaunched Athlete on Fire. It is now it is now back and running. We will be podcasting two or three times a week, um, mostly with people close to me. But we'll be going out for some some interesting guests as well. We have a brand new virtual training center is what we're calling it um me and my friend sammy my wife lauren another friend aaron who are all in the industry and been coaching for years and years or competing for years and years decided this was the time uh there's people that don't have a community out there that would like to find it and we're willing to put that together for you all so really really good training resources great videos great concepts on how to get better in whatever sport you might be in so Go check that out. It's on athleteonfire.com. You can see Virtual Training Center in the top tab somewhere up there. Um, we're doing three-day three, three day free trials. So if you want to just go scope it out and check out the videos and see if it's for you, that'd be awesome. It's going to continue to grow, though. So anything you see today is going to be uh, dwarfed in months to come. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day wherever you might be, and really appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Athlete on Fire. Stay fired up with additional resources and information at athleteonfire.com.